Blog Talk Radio. Angeles, California. Welcome to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show with your host, Shaw McCain. Hi, everybody. I'm your host, Shaw McCain. I'd like to welcome listeners to the Paranormal and the Sacred Radio Show. My show is created to provide an open-minded platform that welcomes the gifted and extraordinary thinkers from every walk of life and circumstance. Please follow the Paranormal and Sacred on Facebook for upcoming events and special speakers from around the world. And we're happy to say we're translating to many different languages so listeners outside our country can hear it in their own language. The calling number tonight is 619-924-9744. And the Paranormal and the Sacred airs every Friday night at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. During the show, I can take questions in order in chat. And you may call in with your questions and speak with our awesome guest tonight. Any buzz killers in chat or on the phone, you know what's going to happen to you. So don't bug me and I won't bug you. So be polite and play nice. And uh, we just asked for a lovely show, and we're looking forward to it tonight. And they're exciting. Um, I have a few announcements to make. Um, tune in to the Paranormal Angels every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And the call-in number to listen through your phone, uh, just call up Wednesday night. That's what I do from my office so I can listen, 718-664-6407. To call in and listen, it's Marsha Becker. And Geraldine Bauss uh, talk about all many of subjects and all psychicness and uh, positive things and angels and things like that. For those who belong to CERO, CERO International, the support group for people that have experienced uh, alien abduction or have sightings and things like that, we're at a special secret location in Burbank. And it's on January 25th at 2 p.m., so we'll see you there. And then Yvonne Smith, uh, his new book, Coronado, a haunting is now available on Amazon and Create Space. And uh, if you need a licensed hypnotherapist, if you do have uh, abduction issues and things like that of the alien kind, um, Yvonne Smith is also a licensed hypnotherapist, and she's available in the La Costa area and also in Huntington Beach. And then um, you can also find us through www.cerointernational.com. And that's how uh, we get together and there's live events and things like that. You can find out all the information over there. Okay, next week, I'm excited and happy to say Bastia Marlowe, and we have a a great story about how we met, the great-great-granddaughter of the famous voodoo queen, Marie Catherine Laveau, is going to be our guest. And she also was was a famous Louisiana Creole practitioner of the voodoo, renowned in New Orleans, and they still celebrate her life. And also her grave. And uh, anyway, she did have a daughter, and Marie Livo II, who was the same practitioner, too. And anyway, tonight, so that's next week, tonight we have an awesome guest, very exciting. Tonight I want to welcome our guest, uh, David Shurvish. Uh, D.R. Shurvish has, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, but I'll ask him when I get him on the phone. 
has spent his life seeking adventure, ancient teachings, and metaphysical knowledge, and gathering tales to weave into strange and beautiful stories. The Mayhem Wrangler tells a story about a man named Bobby, but the message that beckons beyond the supernatural thriller is a real saga that imparts the knowledge of the ancients and serves as a manual for modern society that, while violently unraveling, begs for its own salvation. Wow. Former wilderness guide, sailboard skipper, photojournalist, and the United States Coast Guardsman, D.R. Servish, is writing his second novel. Anyway, the Mayhem Wrangler, former military remote viewer Bobby Doucette, has tried like hell to forget his past, including a supernatural gift, but nothing quite ever works as planned, and he just put another bullet through the second TV in a month. And when the street killer Jack Mumford, I was reading that today, interesting, summons the darkest forces to question everything Bobby cares about and threatens the lives of innocents. Bobby knows that he can no longer sustain his haunted existence. Anyway, we're going to have him on just one second. And we're talking about his book, The Mayhem Regular, and on his life. He's a very interesting young man. And let me get him on. I'm going to call him in right now. So please be patient while I be quiet. And I'm going to call in. Okay, let's do this. I'll do it. Okay. This is Dave. Do it. Hello, please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press one for more options. <laughs> hey Dave, hang up uh, or uh talking to somebody else and uh pick up the phone. So uh anyway, it'll take him a minute. We're gonna hang up and we're gonna ask him to please um hang up the phone and I'll call him back in a minute. So let me look over here, see if anybody messaged me. So, okay. Anyway, so I got this book, and it's very interesting. It's about uh, remote viewing and and uh, all kinds of interesting stuff. And when I was reading it uh, this week, I had a strange feeling that a lot of this is based on maybe his personal experience. So let me try to call him again. And uh, it's going right to voicemail, so... Um, I'll go through extraordinary messages, meaning I'll go on Facebook. She doesn't pick up here. So I'm trying again. Come on, Dave. Pick up, Dave. Okay, Dave, or... This is Dave. Do it. At the tone, Dave? please record your message. When you have finished recording, you may hang up or press 1 for more options. Okay, now we're going to leave a message. Hi, Dave. This is the Paranormal Sacred. We're live uh, leaving you a message on your recorder that uh, we really need you to call in the show, 619-924-9744. And I'm going to... Go over to Facebook and leave you a message over there and tell you to call in. 619-924-9744. Thank you, Dave. So, I hope this isn't, you know, some kind of weird uh, 
interference from anywhere that uh, he won't be able to pick up his phone. So let me message the guy, and uh, we'll get this straightened out. Okay. Uh, hold on a minute. I hope they were. I hope they're not at dinner or something. <laughs> oh boy! And if I do sound like I have a cold, yeah, I think I have had the flu for four days, but. I'm in complete denial, so I keep going to work and I keep doing this anyway. So uh, uh, I'm telling uh, his wife is is going to voicemail. Okay, so let's see what we can do. Okay, I got that posted. You know, this is the usual something, something going on. Okay, so I'll just try to call my third call, my third uh, call in to the osmosis or the, the weird, uh, try to get Dave on here. I hope the time change hasn't had them thinking it's a different time. Hello? Than it is. Oh, hi. Hey, is this Dave? Charlene, oh my God. That's a great way to start, <laughs> huh? <laughs> It's okay. At least I got you on there. I have a cold. So oh. My voice is even lower than usual. But, uh, yeah, Dave, uh, you left the thing in here. We were calling and leaving messages on your phone live. <laughs> so, That's great. Anyway, That's just great. I love it. Uh, it's, uh, oh, you know what? It doesn't matter. Uh, as long as we got you on now. And uh, I, gave, I already gave your introduction. And uh, I was saying I... I I was reading your book, and I think that um, it's it's part of your experiences. So I was reading it, and you know, this sounds like he was there, you know, for some of this. So I don't know how much of it was fiction or some of it's based on your life experience, uh-huh. but uh, that's where, where, where we're at. So um, I was just telling him about the book. And um, anyway, how are you tonight? I'm great. I'm great after those little technical hiccups that always happen. Yes, um, that's okay. I was once on a um, honor guard detail at a funeral, and uh, we were folding the flag for the widow, and the uh, the earth gave way. It was a very rainy, rainy, muddy, muddy day, and the earth gave way right underneath while we were wearing our dress blues and we were up to our waist in mud. But oh uh, the flag ne- the flag never touched the deck, so, you know. Oh, thank goodness. We got, we got through with it. <laughs> anyway. Um, what's that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Eyes in the boat. Keep folding. Absolutely. <laughs> That's great. So, now what we do, do know, we want to know something about you. So, I want you to tell us about your background. Well, let's see. Um, I, I think you got it right. I'm a seeker. I've uh, and I, I was reading your bio too, and I, I noticed that you've had a UFO experience, and uh, I've kind of always had strange things happen to me, especially as a child. And 
I'd, I've done a lot of traveling. And when I get anywhere, one of the first things I'll do is study or join the local religious customs. And um, whether it's Baltimore, New York City, Los Angeles, Kenya, um, the jungles of Central America, wherever. And I'm all, I, I've always been amazed at the the way people try and solve those personal problems. And I was, I've, I, I, for one reason or another, I've, I've kind of like stumbled into a couple places in life that I, for lack of a better word, I would just consider an evil place. Some great horror was done there or some kind of, uh, Something had been done there, and you could feel it. It was a palpable energy, and this just fascinated me. Not not the fact that these things happen, because the truth is, I, I think the banality of evil is probably the truth. It, it, it is so commonplace. It is so mundane. Uh, you know, just to kind of bring us right up to the present and maybe work backward. I mean, these things that are happening in our world right now, however horrific the acts are, uh, they're very old and they're very mundane and they're very banal. And the people who do it are very, very cowardly. But it it, it seems to me that this, this kind of energy coalesces and manifests for whatever reason on a large scale and small scale throughout um, throughout history and throughout the world, and the kind of juxtaposition and the play between those those forces of lightness and darkness just have fascinated me since I was a child. Um, I got exposed to some evil uh some really bad violence when I was a kid. Uh, I was in New York City in um, uh, a long time. I was living in New York City, and I, I found myself it was Thanksgiving. I found myself at this party, uh, and I was I was just amazed. It was like it was like my absolute fantasy of what uh, artistic uh, New York party would be. And there were people from all walks of life and doing all amazing things. And I was just kind of like standing in the corner looking and just going, wow, you know, that's that person and that's that person. And there was a woman who was uh, the wife of the man giving the party who was an actor, had been in a couple movies, and I noticed there was a certain lilt in her voice. And I was like, well, there's something really familiar about her, and I just I can't put my finger on it. And, and all I knew about her is she was a she was a – primary singer at the Met, Metropolitan Opera. She's an opera singer. So she had that kind of lilt to her voice, but I noticed something else, and, you know, I was hanging around the cheese tray or whatever I was doing, and she walked up, and I said, hey, you know, do you mind if I ask you where you're from? And she kind of looks at me, and she says, uh, well, you know, almost apologetically, she says, Vonsville, Ohio. And I said, I knew it. I said, I grew up in Ohio, and I used to spend my summers in Bondsville. 
And she go, and so we started talking about Bonneville, Ohio. And she goes, well, you know what happened to all those people? And I said, no. And it was she was I think she was a little bit older than me, about the same age. But she said she said, uh, well, uh, they they you know there was to, to make a long story even more long. There was a, this, this this farm kid who kind of uh, got hold of what he considered a recipe for what he thought was. LSD 25, and he started oh, making no. this out of uh, yeah. It was it was really bad. It was like as bad as it was before uh, you know um, meth trailers and all that stuff. But it was it was about as bad. And he was cooking this stuff up in his barn with veterinary chemicals that he would get from the vet. So he changed the ingredients somehow, and you know. Kids, if you're listening to this, you never know who's cooking what out there. Just don't do drugs, okay? Just don't even. Great. And, uh, and, but apparently he got something really, really wrong. Um, and it fried the brains of all these people. And she would, she told me, she said, I went back there and, I mean, this town was so small, I don't know, it's probably a shopping mall by now, but at the time it was just nothing but farms and, and uh, the How only thing downtown people? was it. Uh, well, probably about twenty-five or thirty kids, which was a oh lot for this county. Yeah. Because I mean, the only thing in the town was uh, the only thing in the town was like a I swear to God, it was an old red wooden phone booth with a payphone in it and a post office. And she said she went back there, and all these people were just kind of walking around like zombies, and. One of these people uh, high on this stuff was my kind of 14-year-old girlfriend, and I was 14. She was 15, actually. And we were kind of doing what 14- and 15-year-olds do. And, you know, it was an idyllic little, could have been a beautiful moment that I could have had the rest of my life. But in came uh, this older Boy, I, he was a man. He was like 20 or 19 or something. And he was kind of hanging around with one of the older sisters. And he barged into the room, and we were there. And I was, well, I was naked. Um, and he throws me out of bed against the wall and just hides a tight on this stuff that this, this Metropolitan Opera singer was talking about. And his his eyes were just wild. They were crazy wild eyes. They just you know you look into it and they just avoid. You're like whatever spirit wasn't happening in this body is gone right now, uh, and something else has taken over. Uh, whatever you want to call it. And he pulls out a knife, and I was naked, and uh, he puts me up against the wall, and he starts to press the knife into my throat, and. I had had out-of-body experiences before as a child. I kind of popped in and out. Not during violence. My parents were great, you know, but it, it was just, you know, I'd be in and out, and, you know, sometimes I'd be looking down at the house and I'd wake up and just think it was a dream. But this was the first time uh, I, I realized I, I had split my consciousness and I was somewhere 
outside looking down at this scene. And um, and the knife went kind of deeper into my into my neck, and I remember thinking, if I do or say the wrong thing right now, he he's he's gonna slip up, he's gonna do something bad. So I I kind of like calmed him down, and it was the funniest thing, Char, because as I talked to him, and mind you, this is a fourteen year old boy, just you know. Self-preservation. As I talked to him, I kind of re-entered my body, and that consciousness kind of collapsed into one thing again. And then I saw something kind of come back into his eyes, a kind of humanity or whatever it was for a moment. And he released the pressure on the knife. Uh, the, the the girl had already gone. The girl, she was gone. She she split. And good thing, too. And he re- released the pressure just enough, and I kind of just slapped his arm and ran. And ran outside. I was buck naked, and I just ran out and hid in the barn. And that, having seen that and having that happen to me at such a young age, well, of course, what is that? Because if you talk to anyone else, You know, if you talk to a psychologist, if you talk to a scientist, if you talk to a priest, if you talk to anyone and say, hey, you know what? This clown had a knife to my throat, and uh, I had a split consciousness, and I was out of my body, looking at my body, about ready to get killed. What do you think that is? They're like, well, I think you need to be medicated, Mr. Sherber. So, you know, that that, that was the beginning. And I, you know, and and you read about these things in, in the ancient texts, and you 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 see it, and you see it in in modern psychotherapy when people are trying to mend these uh, disparate portions of the human psyche back into one thing, uh, so a person can be, you know, live their life and enjoy their life and have freedom and not live in fear. And you know, I think I think we've reached that kind of uh, that kind of like split almost uh, as a country, as a people. I mean, we have so many young men and women suffering from post-traumatic stress. I think the whole country darn near is after the recession. You know? Yeah, I agree with you. And, well, after nine one one. Sure, sure. You know, I mean, I I I. I was living in New York City, and I remember, Char, I was I was in the Catskill Mountains. I was, I was hiking up in the – I used to do uh, – there was a portion of the trail I maintained up there um, for the New York, New Jersey Trail Conference. And I was coming back from my kind of weekend duties of just picking up litter, making sure that uh, –
all I could think about was getting out. I was like, I got to get out. 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 And, um, you know, I used to work uh, a lot in the Twin Towers. Um, there was a, in Tower 2, I think, there was a, uh, a American Express insert stage that I did a lot of work in. And I would take equipment in. I would work a gig there for, you know, usually day work and stuff. And so I was quite familiar with, you know, the whole building. And I was in there probably once every month. And when it came down, I just, I just, I, I cried. I was just like, oh, oh, God, you know, what devils are we going to unleash now? And, and what is this going to cost the whole world, the whole planet, you know? Yeah. So... Anyway, that's a fun note, huh? No, it's strange that um, you talked about, um, you know, that lady. um, The synchronicity was that you were there in Ohio and you you were with one of those people that got high. That lady was from Ohio. I'm talking about the party. Um, Sure. And that's that whole, what happened to the kid that started that whole mess? You know, I don't know. the the whole kind of period of my life it was about two years I spent out there and then you know after that happened I never went back I never talked to those people I'd never done anything until years later I was in my 30s and I just you know a certain lilt in that woman's voice and I said wow that sounds familiar that sounds like rural yeah and uh it's strange that that's all right. Well, it's just, it's funny. I don't know what happened to him. I, I hope that somebody put him over their knee and spanked the living snots out of him because he did a very, very bad thing, you know, whether he knew it or not. Uh, and, and that's the trouble with that kind of stuff, you know, when we, we see these people eating the faces off of uh, other people, uh, you know. Oh, yeah, that terrible stuff that was going on. You know. Yeah, and because, you know, there is no quality control on this stuff. You don't know what you're getting, you know, when they buy a bag of that, like Special K or whatever it is. You know, you, you buy a bag of that stuff, you don't know what you're getting. And, and, and you know, I was I was looking, I was fascinated by that. I'm like, you know, what is that? What? But if you look, there's a couple of videos of, of people doing that bath salts, and it is the oh, I don't know if you've I don't know if you've seen them, but the strangest thing yes, I to have. me Yeah, the strangest thing to me is what the way their torso contorts. And if you notice and I've and I've noticed this, and when the way their body contorts, especially their arms and their torso, it they kind of go backwards and it yes. almost looks like the the the, the drawings of of uh, uh, the Bobby. old uh, like uh, of, of well of the like the Jersey Devil or the Mothman or something yes. like that you know just these old kind of demonic drawings of what people would look like in a demonic anguish and uh, I, I'm just terrified of that stuff it just seems to open a horrible portal in someone's consciousness and I don't know if that can be fixed or not you know. I was just but. thinking that I was going to try to say, but, you know, like that acid that he made, you know, some people can go into psychosis and never come out of that. Well, That's sure. Not, I, I saw a guy do that. 
Yeah, I saw a guy do that on Jimson weed. He, I don't know what possessed him, but he started eating Jimson weed. He'd pick it from the local dump where it was growing, and all of a sudden he started, you know, ingesting this stuff. He went into a coma for a year. You know, boom, that was it. And when he came back, he was never right, you know. So, anyway, enough of that. Okay. So, <laughs> so we're all, Go ahead. Now we're over at 911, which is another uh, sad thing. But I think, as you brought up the PTSD, I think that we all, I still have it from that. I'm not over it yet. I think we, I think we all do as a country. I mean... And then, you know, whatever you think of our decision, you know, whatever whatever anyone thinks of our decision to go into Iraq, the the fact of the matter is the people that attacked us, I believe there wasn't an Iraqi aboard those planes. It was, you know, um, 14 Saudis or 14, yeah, 14 Saudis and six. Uh, Egyptians, people, whatever. But there we are, and we did that, and then we went into Afghanistan, and then, you know, we're we're dealing with the slap back of this. And, you know, it, it goes all the way back as far as I'm concerned to, you know, Mossadegh being overthrown in 54 in Iran. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But here we here we are today, and we're all kind of suffering for it, you know. I mean, people don't want to speak up. They don't want, you know, everybody's kind of like gun shy. Everybody, and that's just not, to me, that's just not American, you know. We're just not, we're not living up to our potential because we're all suffering from PTSD. And when that happened to me, when that happened to me, I was, you know, I was writing a bunch of, uh, at that point, kind of lousy scripts trying to make my name in Hollywood. And I, I remember one day I was at the Hotel Cafe in Los Angeles, back when it actually was a cafe, before it was a venue, and it was a crummy little uh, hotel cafe. And um, I was sitting there writing, and I remember I I, I had this crappy little uh, IBM computer that had, like, I don't know, you know, all you could do is process a Word document on it. And I was writing these uh, scripts, and I just stopped, and I said, I, I can't write this stuff anymore. I, I have to I have to investigate what it means to me to have us as a country having gone through this, this horrible tragedy and what, what, what happened to us and what happens to us individually and what happens to us collectively when we go through something like that. And what can we do about it? More importantly, uh, nothing bores me to tears more than somebody goes, yeah, man, it's just life is just a bummer. It's like, well, yeah, okay, it is, but what are you going to do tomorrow? What, what, how are we going to make it better? What are we going to do to uh, fix it? And... The Mayhem Wrangler was was my my tale, how I thought we needed to fix it. Um, and I think one of the things, sometimes people call it thuglet, just because maybe my choice of words are a little on the crude side. But people talk like that. A lot of people that I know talk like that. And... And the truth of the matter is, I I don't think 
you can come up with a solution to a problem like that, societal or personal, until you auger down and really find out your triggers and really find out what it is, what demons you have and, and who's chasing you in your in your psyche, in your mind or for real, for that matter. Right. I I feel like uh, either I feel like you stepped into being part of the solution, and I feel that either we're part of the problem or we're part of the solution. If we do nothing, we're part of the problem. We have to exactly. go out there and fight the righteous fight. That's the way I feel. That's right. Edmund Burke said, you know, and I and I actually my character says this in my book. You know, Edmund Burke says, uh, all evil needs to exist is for a good person to do nothing. That's well, the, the corollary of that is then you have to do something. you got to find the thing within you that is unique to you that you can do in this world to make a difference for the better. And it doesn't have to be a grand thing, and it doesn't have to be, you know, I mean, I, I love these acts that, that people do on a collective basis, like the pay it forward. You know, I saw some, that happen to somebody at Starbucks the other day, and it just made me so darn happy, you know. Well, and, yeah, happens. it's cliche. You know, it's yeah. cliche and it's it's whatever, but, you know, there it was. Like, it was early in the morning. Obviously, this guy wasn't having a great day in this car, and he pulls up, gets his coffee, and she just waved him on and said, no, that's already paid for, and a smile came across his face. What's better than that, uh-huh. you know? That's better than that. Yeah, we need to help each other, and I think that's what we're doing here is that we're helping each other in each our own special capacity. You know, and it's awesome. Yeah, I'm I'm fascinated by what you're doing. I'm fascinated by what you're doing. This is quite quite the quite the endeavor you've got going on here. I'm I'm very honored (laughs) to be here. Thank you very much. I'm so happy that you're here, and. it's um, when I was reading uh, just a little bit of your story, and uh, it's great getting to know you. That I I just felt like okay, I've got a seeker here, you know, because the kind of people I like, you know, the seekers that are looking for something, and uh, and then we're all doing it together, and we have to support each other on doing that, and talking about it, and comparing notes, you know. And that's what kind of like what we're doing. You that's know? very cool. We're, yeah, we're, I agree. Yeah. This kind of kind of turned into that, you know, that we're comparing notes, we're seeing how it fits, and it seems like we all belong together in this. You know, we're each part of that puzzle piece that we've been talking about, and we're all being drawn together in peculiar ways, really. It doesn't matter how far away we are, you know. Like, I didn't know that that I would be doing this a couple years ago, let's put it that way, so now I'm doing it. I got a couple of years in, and now people from far away, it doesn't matter how far away you are, you know. Right. And to me, that is a big blessing. You know, I could talk to you if you're in that's, the United Kingdom or, or you're in Canada, wherever you are in China, you know. I'll that's talk very to you cool. In China. It is, and it's that's like very cool. we're comparing notes of who we knew over here, and, you know, we all, like, well, I don't know. It's a, it's like almost like a God thing. Yeah. Well, I think I think it is. I I, I remember I was I was in uh, Mount Shasta, California, and I, I love Mount Shasta. I, I remember uh, I, I read a news report, a BBC news report of uh, the Dalai Lama 
was flying over uh, Mount Shasta, and he looked down and he saw it. He was being interviewed on the plane, and and, uh, and he says, "Oh, that is a very holy place." And Mount Shasta is a funny place. It's, it's it's you either love it or you hate it. It it kind of like as soon as you hit the town line, the the energy of it either welcomes you or and and that's kind of I've met people like that over the years. They're like, I mean, you ever been to Mount Shasta? I'm like, oh yeah, I don't like it. And then another oh, really? person's like, yeah, I was just I was just drawn there. I was just drawn there. And I'll never forget, I was talking to this woman in a cafe there. And I forget, she was working in the corporate world. And I said, so how do you like it here? She, you know, she had a really thick New Jersey accent, you know, like Hoboken thick. And, uh, and you know, just joysy, you know. She's talking like just like that. And, um, yeah. and, and. And she said, well, you know, she says, I'll tell you a story. I said, all right, you know, whoop it on me. And she goes, well, I had this reoccurring dream, and I kept seeing this mountain in my dream. And she said, I had no idea. And she said, this was pre-internet, you know. And she said, I had no idea uh, what it was about. And I kept having the dream. And then one day I saw a magazine. She said, I think, I think it was National Geographic or something. And she saw a picture of Mount Shasta. She says, that's it. And she goes and she tells her husband, she says, we're moving to Mount Shasta. I'm taking the kids. You can come or, or not. <laughs> she said, so she quit her job, moved, took the family and moved to Mount Shasta. And she said, you know, the mountain just called her. And you talk about a seeker's paradise. It's Mount Shasta, California. Yeah. I mean, wow. uh, everyone there, everyone there is drawn to it in one way or another, uh, you know, and they've got every kind of religious sect from, you know, snake handlers to Buddhist, Tibetan, and all, all you name it. Everybody's got a little, little, little part of that place. And it's a, it's a, it's a strange place, but it's, it's funny. I think we are all kind of being called like that, you know, yeah. which is, you know, one, one of the things, you know, I find a lot of my friends that are veterans, you know, who are prone to serving anyway, you know, they, they, they get called, they get called, like someone's called to the clergy to serve. And I think, I think as a country, the United States, I think that's where our leadership, both sides, right, left, center, are kind of missing the boat. We haven't challenged the youth of this country to do anything. You know, when we went to war in Iraq, we have this all-volunteer army, George Bush. And I, I really think he told us that to, to keep us calm. But, you know, it wasn't like World War II where, you know, men went out and built national parks or anything like that. He just told us, you know, just go shopping. It's going to be okay. And at the time, you know, he probably really believed that was the right thing to say. But I think now... Uh, hindsight is 2020. We we didn't challenge each other and especially the youth of this nation to build anything. Um, we just kind of like said, whatever, go ahead and twerk and uh, do whatever. Well, yeah. And I I I think we're I think we're kind of uh, I think we're sorely lacking that vision now. I mean, we have this great untapped youth 
that have not been challenged by the rest of us to do anything with their lives other than just trying to get by. And I think that goes back to, you know, the PTSD that we are all still suffering from from 9-11. And yeah, I think now is the time. <laughs> yeah. And I think we're now is the time. Absolutely. And I think now is the time to change that. I think now is the time to, you know, say, hey, look, you know, there's a lot of bad things in the world, but there's a lot of good things in the world. And nothing will get better and nothing will change until we make it better as a, as a people. And, and then we have to include all of us. And, you know, that's my response to, uh, to what happened. And that's what I'm, I'm choosing to write about. And that's what the Mayhem Wrangler is about. You know, from a hundred, uh, hundred feet in the sky looking down, it's a, it's a, it's a paranormal thriller and it's a good one. I, mm-hmm. I got some great reviews from some, sure some pretty hard people. Um, but, you know, if you auger down into it, um, I think that we need to be able to take our broken lives and with care and with and find the grace, find grace within us and find grace within each other. And I think that's the most important thing. You know, it's easy to say how much you don't like somebody else, you know. I'm not probably the most lovable person in the world. Thank God a few key people in my life actually do love me. But but I'm probably I'm probably not the most lovable person in my in the world. But thank God somebody cares about me, you know? That's right. And I I I think that's our instinct. Our instinct is to reach out to, you know, is to help. You know, I, I you, you see it. You see it in a snowstorm. You see it in a hurricane. You see it. You see it in a tornado. You know, you see it in a drought. You see it in a mudslide. You know, people's first. I saw some footage the other day of those that great. Uh, it was like 120 car pile up in Minnesota. Did you see that stuff? Oh my god, I did. I was just traumatized. Oh, oh my, my god. god. Well, you know, I, I was watching this one. Uh, this this fellow, obviously, he was on the other side of the road. He didn't dare go over there because these cars were just coming, you know, 70, 60, 70 miles an hour and trucks and tankers and, and vans and all kinds of stuff and just slamming into each other. And, and his reaction, you know, everybody was looking at the video, but I was listening to what this man was saying and he was just, he was a he, he wasn't like, yeah, oh, dude, all right, oh, look at that, woo you know, like it was some video game. I mean, he was aghast. He was just like, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no, oh, my gosh. You know, he was he was terrified. He was horrified. Well, it's horrible because, yeah, I don't know. sure. I watched about 40 of them, I think, but, you know, I, I don't know how big it was. Was it 200? And why was everybody going so fast? I have no idea. That was just insane. They, it was crazy. They were going so fast, and the trucks even were going very fast. Um, oh, I don't get it. In that way too fast. Now. Way too fast. Way too fast for conditions. Way too fast. Thought but you know, I was, was. You know. You know that was the guys. Uh, you know, I always say, you know, everybody goes to a racetrack. I, I've got a good friend of mine who's a stock car racer, sprint car racer, and <laughs> and you know. 
he's a he's a bad dude. He uh, him and his brother they uh, they can really wield uh, a machine around a track, and it's and it's it's something to watch. And you know, I used to always say that you know most people just go to car racing to watch the wrecks, but I really don't think they do. I I think when that happens, people are titillated by it. But I, I I really I really don't think that I think when that when that does happen you know um, people are just aghast they're like oh no you know that's just, that's just awful but you know I mean you'll always have this kind of the dig that kind of stuff but I think for the most part people are people are all right they're okay I know I believe in people and I I do. Uh... I do know there's more good than bad in people. I do know that. And I... There is. Excuse me. I work in uh, forensics, and I know a lot of... You know, all my clients are, are federal criminals, and there's still good in everybody, you know? Well, you know, about anywhere I've ever gone in the world... Evil. Go ahead. What's that now? You go ahead. Except for those people that are totally evil, there are some evil people through and through. There are. They're not. There are. I, I've, I've met them. I've I've seen them. I've seen I've yeah. seen what they've done. I've I've gone to. I remember I was in this village in Guatemala, and it had been razed to the ground. They just they they burnt the village to the ground and they killed everybody in the village. And the place just was spooky. It was spooky. You could see the outlines, the burnt outlines of the huts. And, and you know, when you're walking through that, and, you know, at the time, <clears throat> it was the 80s, and, uh, and it, was, it was a hot place. You know, there was nothing, there was no kind of, like, safe area. So you're always just kind of, you know, wondering what's going to happen around the next bend. But I remember being in that place and 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 realizing that the like two or three hundred people that had lived here are just gone now. You know, and what does that take? What does that take for somebody to do that? What 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 does it take for, you know, ISIS to just round up a bunch of children and and shoot them? I mean, there's evil. There's there's definitely evil in the world, and you know, how do you stop that? You know, do you do you hunker down in your in your you know survival bunker? You know, well, you better have an air service because somebody might (laughs) somebody might start a smoky fire by. Well, yeah, and I think that you know their their days are numbered because uh, what we just saw in. in Paris, it shows you how people are going to rally because people are sick of it now. Well, sure, they're sick of it, and I think the first step in something like that is to know who you are. I mean, you know, Abraham Abraham Lincoln said, um, and I'm going to paraphrase because I don't know, I don't remember the precise quote, but he said, "Let us not pray." that God is on our side. Let us pray that we are on God's side. And yes. I think the first step in any 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 kind of 
event like that is to know who we are and what we stand for. Because then, then you know what's, you know, then you know what you're willing to do and what you're not willing to do. And once you know that, then you can develop tactics. You know, once you know that, well, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be like them. I'm not gonna do to people what they do to people. Uh, sometimes that makes you feel hamstrung. Well, why can't I meet that violence with the same or greater violence? You know, we well, can, I suppose. But um, if you do it in the same manner with the same hatred in your heart, it's hard to tell the difference, you know. Uh, It's hard to tell the difference at that point. So I think the first thing is to find out who you are, what you believe, what you stand for in the world, what you care about, where your boundaries are, and then you'll know how to act, you know. Um, you know, because this mean, also brings something out in us. Just remember this: is that when you're when you're at that rock and the hard place, or you are called upon to do something, you find out who you are. It's you certainly the only do. Time in your life, yeah, that you know, that's probably the only time in your life that you actually really do know who you are. You're very much in contact with what's what you are, who you are, what you're going to do, and who they are. Because I've been in those spots many but, times. My my dad used to t- well he didn't talk often he was in he was in World War Two uh, he was uh yeah he was in the 82nd Airborne he was a Airborne Pathfinder and um, you know he talks about that you know as as horrible as it was at the very least he knew what he had to do and you know. The, those are those are choices, and 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 they're given to. That's why our training is so tough in this country. That's why you know the, the men and women who are out there, God bless God bless them all, who are out there. We have the kind of command and control that we have, you know. And yes, we make mistakes, and there is the fog of war. But you know, at the end of the day. Um, our men and women are accountable to the Uniform Code of Military Justice, and that's something to be very proud of. You know, I remember a story a drill instructor was telling me, and somebody was saying, oh, it's hippie, peace freaks, and he just jumped in this recruit's stuff, and he said, you are here to defend the Constitution of the United States, which gives those people the right to say anything. Now, give me 25 (laughs) <laughs> Drop and give me twenty five. That's <laughs> right. I know. I, you saw, know? I saw that video where that that uh, one guy is really out of hand. He's saying all kinds of crap. Or and uh, there was another video about uh, this one guy. Uh, they're saying they're refusing to. There's a soldier. There was a Muslim guy there, and he was at like a coffee shop, and they were refusing to serve him. The soldier stepped forward. And read in the riot act, he said, "You know, I serve so that he, I serve the constitution that allows everybody to be free. That's what I do. You know, that's, I mean, right. that's a great and, and that, that we can be into. People forget as we're as we're busy cowering, you know, that we can be ourselves and be who we are. You know, quit slinking around and, and worrying that you're going to fit in. But where do you want to fit in at? Booyah! There it is. 
There it is, Char. I mean, that—that's that, it. That's it in a nutshell. I mean, if what if 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 we are just going to devolve in some kind of dystopian, you know, survival mode, what the heck is it we're going to stand for? We're just going to become tribalist, and you know, anybody that walks into our town, we don't like the way their their clothes are cut. We're just going to tell them to get out of town by sundown or worse. I mean, that's 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 not the America we need to be, and and so we have to heal. We have. Let me read something. Let me read something from the book. Is that cool? Oh, I'd love it. All right. This is about John Redtruck, one of the characters in my book. This is from the Mayhem Wrangler. What page is that? When John, well, this is uh, page 101, and I'll just read a short, short little bit here. When John Redtruck finally made it back to the reservations, things had changed, and so had he. Most of the old ways were not practiced anymore, and John was on his own. The small towns surrounding the reservation were always troubled spots for the Navajo, and it was there where John, Lee, John finally broke down and used the violence he had learned in war to settle a score with some local white boys. As anyone could have predicted, it did not end well, and John served seven years of a 25-year sentence for second-degree murder. An Army buddy from Chicago who had become a lawyer learned of John's case from another ranger, and did some investigation. It turned out that the evidence used against him was false, and he got John's sentence commuted. John went to live with his great uncle, who was a medicine man, and showed him how, with the great spirit's help, he could heal himself. To come back after going so far into the darkness is no small feat. To learn how to help others down the same rocky trail is the true test of a warrior's path. John had set up a rehab center of sorts for misfits who got lost on the road of life. It was not an easy school, but it was one that got results. I know, because I graduated top of my class. The road to John's place goes from the road to John's place goes from bad to worse and ends up just a jeep trail in the high desert. It is a natural fortress with a small gap heading up to a mesa where people trained to look for safety and terrain features feel very comfortable. This is land that we use for healing work before a time anyone can remember. It is sacred land and has been used by healers and medicine people since perhaps before there were any Navajo. The first time I saw this piece of dog patch mesa was after my life had fallen apart the last time. I had lost my wife and everything I cared about, and all I wanted to do was vanish. The first truth that I learned on the mesa was that I was the only one to blame, and I was the first one I needed to forgive. It's not an easy thing to forgive yourself. No, not easy at all. All the pain and bitter, bitterness that one may have harbored for many years has many strange ways of hiding and behaviors that would take more than one lifetime to figure out. Modern therapy isn't enough most of the time. In fact, as Albert Einstein once said, you cannot solve a problem with the same mind that created them in the first place. You cannot dream them away. You cannot lay on a couch and talk them away. You cannot scream at them and transfer all your anger and pain into a stuffed animal. You cannot massage them away. You cannot drug them away. You cannot stick needles in just the right places or move your spine a little to the left or right. You cannot hold an unnatural pose for hours nor not eat for days to get rid of them. You cannot understand them by the sexual obsessions you may have, and you won't know them by the certain fears that, may, that manifest inside you. You cannot just heal the disease they have caused and expect the sickness not to come back in another form. You cannot wish 
You cannot just recite platitudes or new thought affirmations. You cannot chant a mantra of an ancient religion and expect to do the work that you and only you can do. Now, you must enter the darkness. You must go to the one place you are most afraid to go and meet your doppelganger. You must meet your dark self. You must walk with faith into the valley of shadow, naked, without any weapons or support, except your belief that there is a power in the universe that is perfect, and you are part of that perfection. Your pain and your horror are part of that perfection. Your fears and your hope are part of that perfection, and you must trust. You must trust when there is nothing at all that would signal anything you could ever imagine that is trustworthy. You must have faith by will, not by knowing, and you must go forward into the abyss, unsure and unworthy. You must walk into a very dark place alone and under your own power, and you must be willing to be destroyed or reborn anew and not care which outcome fate decides to choose. You must be ready to be decimated or exalted, and be ready to accept either fate with grace. That is what you learn on John Red Truck's Mesa. It's a school for the soul, and there are no diplomas or credits. It is a place to take a broken life and fix it, not to its past or future glory, but to a place of grace and acceptance of the beauty and sadness of just how things are. Wow. That's just awesome. You know, that's, uh, did you experience, you know, this this place? I have been there many times. I have. I I sought out shaman and healers and priests and mojo men and voodoo priests and you name it. And you name what crazy little... <laughs> patch of dirt that someone was doing healing in all around this planet and I've gone there. I've I've gone to the top of the mountain to find these people and they exist. And I think in a modern technological society uh, where the more seemingly we're connected in electronic ways, sometimes the more alone we feel we have to take that and 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 just as you would with a wild horse and you know not break its spirit you know but whisper whisper to that wildness and say that's okay you know i love that wildness in you but we we have to heal we got work to do you need you need to carry this you need to you need to put the reins on and you need to pull this wagon right now we need to chop wood and carry water. <laughs> and I think that's where we're at as a society. I think right. I think that's precisely where we're at. You know, we we hate those guys because they believe in this and we hate, you know, and I mean radio is full of it, right? It's just full of hatred. It's yeah. full of hatred for sure. this person or that person or you know, and and okay, that's easy. Next you know, it's easy to hate somebody. You know, anybody, you know, walking down the street that doesn't look like you, boom, you hate them, yeah. whatever. I, I think the challenge is to find the healers, is to find the people. And, and you know, I mean, we have this beautiful framework. We have this constitution. We have this amazing country. And just like that soldier, you know, 
told those people to lay off the Muslim. That's right. why he's fighting. That's what the Constitution, you know, all enemies, foreign or domestic, you know. That's Just right. like my drill instructor, my, the drill instructor told my buddy, you know, made him do push-ups. In fact, I think, I think it was a Blue Falcon moment. I think we all had to do push-ups because of that guy, if I remember correctly. But that's okay. I had to do push-ups for the Constitution. <laughs> but I mean, that's the that's the beauty of this of this this crazy, wacky, nutty country we have. It's it's uh, yeah. you know, people, you know we. Uh, we Oh, go ahead. I, I was just going to tell you is that because I hear you know people what they feel about us and they uh, in other countries and stuff like that, but they don't really understand us. You know what I mean? It's like we no, of course not. Stab each other. They don't. We don't. We will stab each other in the back, fight against each other. We'll be racial, steal, rob each other, and everything else. But you go against us, we're all against you. No, yeah, you know that's I mean? true. We're but that's how everybody not. feels. I know that's what we we're like the the cowboys in the wild west though we we do have a, a code it's a strange code you know and it's interesting it at times because uh, we're freaking idiots or you know we've got your random drunks being filmed all the time but what I'm saying is that you know because I see so much silly stuff I'm like oh humans oh my god we're so embarrassing but anyway uh, but you go against us like nine one one. They all. I went to church right after work because I was. I could not leave my station. I was at Harbor General Hospital at that time. I was working with uh, mothers and drug-exposed babies. I could not leave. Oh the my hospital, goodness! But right after work. How do you do? How do you do that without your? How do you do that without your heart just breaking out of your chest? Your heart does break, and then you grab a baby and wrap them up. And the blankie, you get them warm, and because they suffer, they can't keep their formula down. They're in pain. Right, they're, right. They bang their heads against the wall, stuff like that. And um, the mothers were there too, you know, for treatment because they're, they're the ones who created this. And uh, but they would call me back into it with the babies, and I would go in the rocking chair. I said, oh, because they would say my baby won't stop crying, and a lot of them they don't. They can't get food. Oh my God! It's a serious problem. They don't have, wow. like, the endorphins and stuff. So you have to help them. Right. So I oh, was sitting in the rocking chair. God said, bless okay, you. Thank you. I was saying, hand me a baby. God bless anybody who does that. Big shout out to anybody that works it's, with babies like that. My uh, gosh. There was a, a nurse over there. This is Harbor General Hospital in Los Angeles. And uh, this nurse would get those ladies sober. You know what I mean? They would deliver a clean baby that, that unfortunately... Oh and my God! Damaged. But what, what I'm saying is that once they're born, but the girls will go get me. My baby won't stop crying. They won't stop throwing up. And I, I get in the chair and I say, "Okay, hand me the baby one by one." And I get them all wrapped up because they really didn't know how to handle me either. They like babies like warmth and they want to be wrapped up. So you sure. love them and you rock them and you love them and you tuck them under your, your neck and you put them on your chest, you know. And I had, they said, oh, oh my, my God, you got the touch. And I put them to sleep one after the other. And, Aww. you know, I learned a lot in that nursery, you know, about how people aren't born hating each other. Because we had a quite no. a racial mix in the hospital. They all, these babies would hold hands while I would be holding. I had two big bruisers. One was the whitest kid you've ever seen in your life. And he was beautiful. And then a big white black baby, another beautiful baby. There were two big guys that probably grew up to be six foot seven. Let's put it that way. They were big. 
They were little glute babies. But anyway, I'd have one in each arm and a bottle in each hand because they always demanded they had to be fed now. And I remember I was rocking in the chair and I was, uh, you know, loving them up and feeding them. And they started holding hands. And they were, like, swinging their little hands back and forth. And I was thinking, thank you, God, that I got to see this. And we're not born like this. We're taught we're like this. So somewhere along the line, we're, we're not. not born like this. Those two no, we're not. There's, there's, a, there's, a, now, but... there's a very famous song from uh, the the um, the musical South Pacific, uh, and the the lyrics are: "You have to be taught. You have to be taught by seven or eight. You have to be taught to hate." You know, and it, and it, and it's true. We we come into this world, and you know, we learn that stuff, and. I, I just think we're there, Shar. I think I think we've tried it right, left, and you know the hating seemed to come easily the last few years. And you know, I mean, I mean, you know, we we need to work on this country. We need to build some bridges. We we need to make sure people in Detroit have heat in the winter. We need to do stuff. We do. You know, oh my God. We, I, I don't I, I don't understand. I, I can't, for the life of me, I cannot understand. Somebody will look me straight in the face and say, well, you can't have abortion because we've got to have babies. And I'll say, okay, you know, I hear you. That's what you think. And I say, so what are you going to do the day after they're born? Because are you going to take care of them then? What are you going to do when they're just some nasty... 15-year-old that's incorrigible, are you going to take care of them then or are you just going to, you're just going to turn your back on them and say you're on your own? I mean, to me, it's, 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 a, it's a process where you, we have to do that. We just have to turn. We t- we, it's, like, it's like we're on the, the ocean has taught me a lot. And I, I think, I, I can't even say it's, it's, it's fear. It's beyond that. It's just awe sometimes when you see the natural forces and the strength of them and you realize how completely insignificant in this universe you are. And yet at the same time, I've I've been in those storms and I've seen just the awesome power of, you know, destruction just coming right at you. And there's nowhere to hide. There's nowhere to go. You just gotta, you just gotta grit your teeth and do the next thing. And you grab hold of the tiller or whatever, and you straighten it out, and you start tying stuff down, and you start, you know, you just start doing what you need to do. And that's where we're at. You know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to forget anybody. I don't want to forget anybody. I don't want to forget any of those babies. Right. You know, we don't we don't know which one of those kids has the cure for cancer. We don't know. We don't know. You know, I, I, I people tell me, you know, they know this, that, or the other thing. The truth is, there's so many mysteries. There's so many cultures. You know, Atlantis knew. The ancient Egyptians knew. The Druids knew. Everybody knew. You know, the secrets, and they died. <laughs> They all died anyway, yeah. and it's gonna it's gonna happen to us. In the meantime, in the meantime, we have to evolve. We have to find a way in our personal lives to grab hold of that tiller 
as we're about ready to be crushed by some overwhelming force and just say, not today. Not today. Right. Some day, yeah, someday, you know, and, and make your peace with that and come to grace to it and and say, you know, I, I you know, Father, I commend my spirit. Whatever you need to take me, you take me. But until that day comes, I'm gonna I'm gonna try and make this world right. I'm gonna I'm gonna try and figure out how to make it just a just a little bit better today. You know, I I don't think I could do it, Char. I don't think I could sit with a baby like that. And I have my uh, you know I've had my babies and I love yeah. them more than anything in the world. And you know. Right. I tell you what, they're the scariest moments of my life when those babies were sick. The scariest moments of my life. Oh, you know, so I've, scary, I know. I've 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 been in wars, I've been in, in the middle of storms, I've been with wild animals, I've been with wild people, I've you know <laughs> I've had some I've I've unnaturally put my I have unnaturally put myself in some very hairy situations, but when I was holding my own child and they were sick, there is nothing more terrifying than that. There, there is a feeling of helplessness that comes over you yeah. that is just profound, and real, and real so fear, profound. You know? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I've I'm I've sure. said that prayer so many times. So take me, take me, take me. Take me, let him, let her live. Just take, you know, don't do it. Don't do it. And, you know, oh, a baby with a fever is just, oh, my God. God bless you. God bless you. I, I yeah. Oof. Give me a hurricane any day. <laughs> well, not everybody's supposed to be doing that other stuff. So I, can, I have a knack and I still have a... Uh, I'm yearning in me to do foster care or something like that, but I'm now I'm uh, I went into uh, outpatient intensive for women, so now I'm in uh, uh, the federal system and uh, counseling uh, federal prisoners you know, with addictions and stuff like that. So it's uh, pretty awesome, you know that. My, my mom did that. She did. Yeah, she was. She she ran. Uh... She ran, well, it wasn't with federal prisoners. She ran uh, uh, the juvie wing of the Cook, uh, not the Cook, Springfield County Jail for a time being as a social yeah. worker. And just, oh, my God, those kids' stories. I, I worked with I worked with some, some bad kids I, when I was teaching Outward Bound courses. Uh, you know, when I was working for Outward Bound, they'd always promise me that, you know, no, seriously, next season we'll we'll give you some of the rich kids, you know, the highly motivated rich kids that just want to go <laughs> climb mountains or sail boats. But until that time, could you just do us this favor and take a bunch of these criminals out into the swamp for 30 days? And like, oh, yeah, okay. All right, you know. But, you know, I, I was with them, little murderers and rapists and killers. And, uh, you know, it's – most of the time, they're just stupid. They're just stupid, and they did stupid things. And they grew up in a stupid place, in a violent place. And, you know, I, I've met I've met the sociopaths. I've met that 1% that are just wrong. Yeah. And, and, you know, those are, those are the ones that, you know, they're not worth the powder to blow into hell. I'm sorry. They're not. 
you know, they, they do it again. And some but people are evil, and they really enjoy what they're doing. They do. They do. And, and you know, and, and the, the, the problem is it only takes one of those people, you know, like this guy who's uh, the head of ISIS. What's his name? Baghdadi. I, I, I can't remember his name, but. You know he's he's a, he's an evil little man, and he just attracts all these other disenfranchised people because it gives them away. And I, that, back to my point, if you do not give a young person, the, the one thing I was so proud about being a part of Outward Bound uh, as yeah. an Outward Bound instructor, it was it was a system of education designed by a uh, an educator named Kurt Hahn uh, who had uh, a school in Germany and had to leave because of the Nazis. And he took his school to Scotland, Abedary in Scotland, I believe. And, um, and then from that, uh, the, the British Royal Navy uh, during the convoy sinkings in World War II uh, did statistics on survivors in survival situations. And they broke them down into three categories, uh, young enlisted people, older enlisted people, and uh, officers. And what they found in survival situations were, uh, and these are lifeboat conditions or worse, um, that they, these people were eventually rescued but people were dying in droves. And the ones that were dying the most were the younger, healthier sailors. And so they broke this down. The, the British Royal Navy, they were trying to figure this out. They were like, why are the young people dying? You know, I, I mean, they, they, for all intents and purposes, they can swim better. They can, you know, they, they have a better muscle mass. What was going on? And they, right. And so what they found is in a survival situation like that, and lifeboat conditions are worse, that um, the officers were surviving because they naturally became leaders and started to delegate. So they took their mind off their own problems. The older sailors were surviving because they had experience. They had life experience. They had been sunk before. Maybe they were a minor. Uh, they had family at home. They had something to live for. But the younger sailors that had never experienced the kind of traumatic horrors that come in a situation like that were giving up. They were literally dying of exposure. They were dying of, of giving up. And so they used Kurt Hahn's method to teach, um, teach these guys to put them in what Kurt Hahn would call the moral equivalent of war and to kind of toughen them up. But the difference between, you know, there's, there's negative retention and there's positive retention, you know, and positive retention takes longer. Uh, you know, a negative retention, you can get somebody through boot camp in eight, ten weeks, um, but if you expect them to be a soldier, you're going to have to send them to advanced infantry training because they're going to forget everything they learned in boot camp, right? Right. The, neg the, negative, the negative motivation, it works, but it's temporary, and people forget 80% of what they learn. But in a positive way, if people are taught in a positive way, they retain almost everything. 
And that's what they found with these younger sailors. So when they would put them through these courses that Kurt Hahn designed, and then back in the 70s, they came over to America, and we did what Americans do. We go, hey, that's cool. Let's let's go out. Let's take a bunch of kids out into the mountains or onto the ocean and, you know, challenge them. And uh, we did, and it worked. And I'll tell you a story. Here's a, here's a fact, speaking about the population you're working with. When... The re- I, I worked in I worked uh, I worked in Maine. In for Outward Bound, I worked in Maine, in Massachusetts. I worked in Kenya East at the Kenya East Africa School and Florida Special Programs. And in the Florida Special Programs, because it was they were state appointed students, the state got involved, and so they did a lot of studies on what was going on in our courses. And the recidivism rate on these kids was about 97 to 99%. So if this kid, this adjudicated youth, uh, got out, it was a 98% bet that they were going to be back in or going to be doing crime again because they'd already gone down this path, right? But they they, they, they give them to, you know, my team, and we'd run them through our program, and this would drop to about three percent. And it was just, it was, it was, it was insane. Now, there, there are some anomalies, and you got to hold for those. For, you know, somebody said that this is not a homicidal maniac, and they might be right for this course, right? There's something in this kid that's worth saving. Problem is, when you see that, most of the time. In, in today's culture, in today's America, we we don't say, "Hey, let's try something new with these kids. Let's try something different." You know, let's let's try and break this cycle. You know, we just say, "Hey, look, more prisons, build more prisons, do your thing." You know, I've I've heard many law enforcement types coming around to the thinking that you know, incarceration for long periods of time is not building citizens. We have to do something better, you know, back to we have to do something better now, you know, and, you know, my hat's off to you because it's, it's, it's those kind of steps that's going to actually change people's lives, you know, do I, you know, do I, what's that? It does cut down the recidivism rate. Treatment helps. does work. It works, right? You tell how to, how's your how how does it go where you're at? I think it's it's really good. Um, I always ask my boss what is the the rate, so I look back and um, I think it's uh, probably sixty seven percent. Case day That's out. great. That's awesome. Yeah. So it's, and you're working yeah. you're working with adults. You're working with adults, right? All adults. Yeah, all adults, mostly males. Yeah, that's that's amazing for an adult population. That, I mean, that's truly amazing. Yeah, that's fifty-seven percent of the people that we don't have to take care of anymore. Yeah, right. And then they, we, they we don't have to... this really hectic program, and then they come in and they're doing their halfway house time, and then they get a little time off, and it works because they're you know uh, I don't know. It's an interesting. Uh, a lot of brilliant people. A lot of. Uh, all different, like whatever's going on in the outside world's going on in there, you know, have the same people. Sure. You know, 
So, and I think uh, <clears throat> treatment helps. You know, therapy helps, and what you're talking about in your book really helps. And I wanted to, I think I was reading something. I wanted to ask you the next question, but I was reading this, and it's only on page three, but you're talking about uh, what was going on in McDonald's. Okay, first. So, had too much. Uh, I had one other one. Okay, if I ever had more than one file and get into some screwball's head space, well, that would be just fine with me. I'm weary of the so-called gift, and not that each new nut job is so far beyond the pale of the milk of human kind. It's not that at all. The terrifying fact is just the opposite. That's when they are so damn predictable. The fix is in that by the time there are people who are seven or eight years old, by then they haven't had their Little bones beat until they're black and blue. All their okay, whatever, blah blah blah, blah. and then you got to read the book anyway. Um, we're <laughs> talking about how people are changed. <laughs> anyway, read the book. I'm not saying it and out loud, but uh, we're, we're talking about what happens to it's people ugly. and how people are born and how people are are um, created. Really, they're not born like that. I'm telling you, people are born loathing and whole. And All it takes people. to grow a monster. All it takes to grow a monster is to not love somebody and not care about them. That's all it takes. That neglect and that coldness. That, that's all it takes. And 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 the and the and the reverse of that is, well, let's let's think about it from a monetary point of view, right? If you want to be really hardcore about it, because most people when we talk about people like this. They get up on their hind legs and they go, well, whatever, and they made a mistake. And, you know, tell me, you know, (laughs) tell me who, you know, he who is without sin, you throw the first rock. Tell me somebody who hasn't made a mistake, you know. Tell me somebody hasn't made a mistake or, you know, you just haven't got caught yet, you know. And the truth of the matter is, okay, so we're we're spending all this money. We incarcerate more human beings in this country than any race of people since there were people on the planet of the earth, on the on this planet. We, the United States of America, mm-hmm. incarcerates more people. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of unproductive lives. That's a lot yeah. of people that could be doing something else. And, you know... As I walk around this world, and you know, I work in I work in public works, and as I walk around this world, my eyes looking like you know, that street or that bridge has a certain life expectancy in it, and when that is exceeded, that's it. There's no magic there. It needs to be rebuilt or replaced. I mean, there is literally. I, I really think we need, kind of like we had. Uh, you know, a works program. I really think we need a works program. I, I think we could, yeah. anyway, d- to, the prison popu- to the prison population, you know, okay, so there's some bad actors, and some of them don't be, deserve to be out in the public. But what if? What if with programs like yours or the programs like that I used to work for, what if we could find the ones, the 57%, let's say, of the adult population that didn't need to be incarcerated anymore? And, you know, I'm not giving them a free pass. Maybe they have to check in with a probation officer the rest of their life. I don't know. But what if we could turn them around and have them pay taxes instead of taking tax money, you know? What if we could do that? My gosh, that's 50% of those people 
that could be back out, you know, doing something productive. Right. And I think we need them. I think we need, we need every productive member right now. That's right. We need it's because, uh, you know, poor choices and stuff like that. Whatever the reason is, it could be anybody because, you know, it is anybody. There's plenty of judges. I've had lawyers. I've had POs, you know, probation officers in there. I've had everybody. You know what I mean? Sure, and, uh, sure. It, it covers Flesh is everything. Weak. That's what I'm saying. It's just, it's just people. You know what I mean? And to get involved in drinking and drugging, and you know, you alter your brain, and pretty soon you're doing things that you wouldn't, you know, want. You aren't. Uh, anyway, we know the reasons why. But okay, let's go back. To I'll tell you. I'll I know this. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Finish your thought. No, go ahead. I'll, I'll save it. I'll yeah. save the story. Okay. Well, I want no. I want another story. Go ahead. Okay. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you a story. I made some bad choices. You, you want to hear? You want to hear a really horrible story? Well, okay, of course. <laughs> so, I, I, I was, uh, I was living in Cape Cod, Massachusetts at the time, and uh, uh. Some I I was back in I believe I had been sailing on which is a whole another thing I had been sailing on the uh, research vessel Regina Maris which was a 144 foot uh, barkentine and uh, uh, just one of the most beautiful parts of my life uh, I was a third officer on her when I was on her and uh, we did whale research and part of the research we did got used in the UN's report to the world and got the whale ban treaty passed because of some of the work we did. And I'm very, 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 very wow. proud of that stuff. Um, but I think I was between boats and I was in one of these little pirate bars down there in the tip of Cape Cod and uh, some fellas some people knew of my reputation and they they came up to me and they said uh they said we have a job for you and i said okay what's the job i thought it was a delivery you know <laughs> and it was a delivery right but this is back in the in the big old drug wars yeah and I, I was like, I was like the country rube, right? And I'm like, oh, really? You got a job? <laughs> so, and they were like, and these, these are pretty nefarious characters. And they said, they said, uh, you're going to bring in a boat for us. And I said, what kind of boat? And they said, a fishing boat. And I said, where's this boat coming from? And they said, you don't need to know. And I said, I don't need to know anything. And this one guy kind of grabbed me and uh, kind of made a gesture as if he had a gun under his coat. And he said, it's too late. We tell you when and where you can move. And it, these these guys were Colombian. They were drug runners. And they had decided that they were going to enter my life and, you know, so I'm young and I'm cocky and I'm, you know, I'm thinking about it. And, and they offered me a really handsome amount of money. And I'm like, you know, I know how this works. I could be a pirate. And I thought about it for a minute. And um, I, I actually I thought about it for about 24 hours. 
And then I found this one guy, and I said, I'm not going to do it. And he said, it's too late. You're doing it, or you're a dead man. And I said, you know, go after yourself. And that's what I think of you. And if you come near me again, you know. So, you know, that was the last I heard of it. But I got really, really paranoid. And I was staying in this little uh, shack in the dunes kind of thing up uh, by, you know, off of uh, on the other side of Bradford Street in Provincetown, you know, towards the dunes. And <laughs> I, you know, I was walking around town and I was just expecting you know, I'd go down to the docks and I'd see somebody staring at me and you know, I was just, I was paranoid. I thought, you know, this, here it comes. And to the point where I'd see these guys and they'd point at me and, you know, make slashes across their throat or whatever. And, My God. And, yeah, it was bad. And this went on for about two weeks. So I started sleeping with a shotgun. And Char, I, it was late, late one night. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning, and I heard somebody out the front door. I heard voices. I heard a low murmuring, right? And I woke up, and I was, you know, I wasn't sleeping in bed anymore. I Literally, I was in this, like, chair with this shotgun. And, and, I, and I'm like, okay, here we go. You know, this is it. And my first instinct was to run out the back door, and I said, they're going to be waiting for me out back, you know. I, I, I'm going to have to do a bum, bum rush right through the front door, or I'm not going to get out of here. And kind of got my nerve up. And I remember I took the safety off. I kicked open the front door, and I pointed the shotgun at the head of this college student. Char, it was a bunch of college students who had got oh, the wrong no. road and the wrong house. Right? That's all it was. Yeah. It was just some summer college students that came upon this lunatic's house up by the dunes. And, <laughs> you know, and that's it. I put the shotgun down. I was just like, I'm done. I'm not going to be afraid anymore. I'm not going to live like this anymore. But that could have been my moment where I was in jail. You know what I mean? Yeah. That could have been it. Right. Like, that could have been it. That could have been it right there. And I think about that all the time. I think about you know everybody thinks well you know, you know, but it, it, it's it could be anybody at any time. You know, it's it's I've a. I've been there. I've been there. Believe me, I've been there, and I've had to think. You know weigh the consequences sure. whether I'm willing to to do that, but I don't like being in prison. I think that's why I ended up in this job. It's like my last, uh, you know, because I'll be able to retire pretty soon. I mean, actually only like four more years and I can retire and, um, or whatever, do, do you know, whatever is in fate for me for the next few years. But uh, I've been I in think you're a pretty awesome radio host. <laughs> I've been in those places, so I know what you mean, and then you realize how out of hand you are, so you really better switch yourself oh, up yeah. really quick. Oh, yeah. I had to sit myself down and do a long pocket deal. I'm like, buddy, yeah, exactly. that was just way too close, way too close. It can happen, way too and close. I, everybody knows that, especially if you go 
you know, fear or paranoia or for me, oh, yeah. like my biggest trigger is anger sure. or feeling uh, of the injustice of it all. So that's when I, I have the worst uh, poison in me is when I'm, I'm mad. Oh, sure, sure. That that's that's the, those are those moments, and 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 you know we all have them, we all have them. I mean, you know, you see it, you see it with road rage, you see it, you know, with you know everybody, you know, and and we all have them. We're human beings. I mean, that's that's what I think. Uh, one of the things I'm trying to address in the book is that we are all so human and right. so fallible, and and you. There's a story, you know. I I I used to uh, uh, Penn Station in New York City. I I used to or Grand Central Station in New York City. I used to commute through there, and I used to see this guy. And you know, I'd give a I'd give a dollar here or there, whatever to homeless guys, especially in the winter. And uh, it was right by the shoeshine guys. This one guy used to, and he was just a haunted, haunted man, you know? And, you know, I, I'd see like, it was, it was back when I was living in New York. It was like the kind of like the, the big bull market craze and everybody was a mover and shaker. And, you know, everybody was a cool, uh, investment venture capitalist. And, you know, human beings were kind of like a nuisance for them all. And, uh, you know, I heard these guys one day calling this guy, get a job, you bum, and they were all laughing and everything. And and I remember this, this fella, he just had the most haunted he, – he, I mean, Char, he was he gorgeous man. He looked like Robert Redford. You know, he's just that handsome. But he had this, you know, overgrowth of beard, and he just kind of stood there on this one corner. And I remember coming, I was looking for the guy, and I was talking to this one shoeshine guy, and I said, what happened to him? And they said, he said, oh, he died last night. And I said, and I said, what was, what was his story? Why did he always stand here? And he goes, well, uh, he was late. He was an investment banker on Wall Street, and he was late coming home from work, and his wife and daughter were waiting for him. And a truck lost control coming around the corner and ran his his daughter and his wife over right there where he used to wait at that intersection, you know. And, I mean, there before the grace of God go out, you just never know. You just never know. Um, And that kind of pain is is the worst, losing your your baby to your wife. You don't know what you're going to do. You know, a, a person can a person can tell me, oh, they're going to. I saw it. I saw it when I was in the service. Right? I, you know, some of the. I remember there was this one dude. There was. He was a bad dude. I mean, he was. Uh, he was Vietnam vet. And he was. You know, he was. He was. He was. He knew his stuff. And I saw him fold one night. You know, when it got really hairy, it was just a bad night for the guy. It didn't make him a coward. It didn't make him ineffectual. It was just he had a bad night, and he got scared, you know. And of all the stuff he had been through, all the hardcore stuff he had been through, that was the one night, you know. And I just happened to be there. And it it scared, it terrified me because, you know, I looked up to this guy. He was a master chief. I looked up to this guy like he was a god, you know. And he just had a bad night, you know. And the next day he was cool. 
and 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 that's how it goes. But you just never know. I you know when I hear somebody tell me, oh, you know, they're going to do this and they're going to do that. You know, no, you don't know that. You know, you may think that's why you don't really you know, know yourself until you're pressed into that spot. You know, and, and you know, and even exactly, exactly, and you know, even then, you know, we we all it's life, life. We ebb and flow. We ebb and flow. We just. It's not a constant, you know. You can't be that hard all the time. <laughs> you can't be a door kicker 100% of the time, you know. You can do it for a couple yeah, of years, but you're going to come right. you're going to come back here and, and you're going to drink yourself into it. There's no perfect yep. people. That's another thing. Is people get real because there's no perfect people. Everybody's got something. Everybody has a weakness yep. or this or that, you know, and I think the more we get to our authentic selves, the better. You know, and then helping others, I think, is um, is another thing that will help yourself. You know, but you know that's just part of it, my belief. It, I, I I I think so too. I I think I and I think I think everybody has to figure that out. You got to figure out some way to serve. Uh, exactly. What did what did Bob Dylan what did Bob Dylan say in that one song? Uh, it may be the devil, or it may be the Lord, but you got to serve somebody. <laughs> I know. But then in serving, I had a dream about the end of the world. I've had many of them, but this one was really pointed because at this, this uh, I remember I was going down the alley and I had a backpack on. I was going down this alley and all the houses were uh, getting wrecked. It looked like it was San Francisco, but you know how those beautiful houses were kind of tilting? So it looked like that. And then I passed by a friend of mine. And I said, do you have a Diet Coke in there or just a can of soda? Because I knew they were a very wealthy family, and they had. And the girl said, no. She said, we, we, we're not sharing with anybody. I went, oh, wow. I said, okay. I felt, like, shocked and disappointed. I kept walking, and pretty soon we had another quake. You know, that whole house crashed in on those people. But it, it made me think, don't hoard. You know, it, it really taught me a big lesson. Don't hoard, share. And if you get in a scary spot, go help somebody. It'll really get you out right. of your own uh, issues. You know, it'll help you well, move on. Because at my weekly well, that, point, that, when I get up and help somebody, I'm I'm help I'm helping me at the same time in a weird way. Right. It's 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 a funny it's a funny thing, but you know, as soon as you can take yourself out of your own problems and concentrate on 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 another thing, you know. Yeah. And that that's what they found. That's what the Royal Navy found in the you know the outward bound experiments. You know. As soon as you can take yourself out of your own situation and concentrate on someone else and concentrate on doing something else, you will you will surmount whatever it is that you need to surmount in this life, you know. And we don't teach that anymore. We don't teach service. We don't. We don't. You know. We just kind of say, get as much as you can get. Get it as quick as you can get. The person with the most toys, who when they die, wins. You know, and yeah. we we don't have the resources for that anymore. No, and that's service that's and like sacrifice. the waking. You never hear about sacrifice anymore, or you know, and service and sacrifice go together. I mean, you're you're really acting out your faith if you. And it's not sacrificing in a way people are going to know, because only you know what you're sacrificing, you know. But, you know, just uh, 
this is what makes you human, you know, to uh, do these kind of things. I wanted to get to something that you could, you have uh, several gifts, and I want to get to it, and because <clears throat> we are, well, we're at 740 over here, so uh, we got less wow, than Wow, that, that went quick. It's it's going too fast, and I'm getting really worried, so I'm going to have you on again. Uh, so okay. So it's going to be like a part two, three. Okay, so anyway, this one, because you've done remote viewing and dowsing and other energy work, and I want to know, uh, were you born with this gift, who you studied with, and uh, you want well, to talk about Well, yeah, that? I, sure. It's fascinating. I, um, I think we're all born with these gifts, and I think they dull over time, you know. Uh, you know, if you if you spend any time around babies, you know they or small children, they see other things. They, I I think the world is more fluid to them, and I think, you know, there's a lot of seekers these days. There's a lot of interest in the paranormal, and there's no, you know, it it can be, it can be tossed off quickly by someone who doesn't believe or, or has never had these kind of things in, in their life or had these experiences, you know, much, much like, uh, uh, much like a Scrooge in a Christmas Carol when Marley's ghost says to him, you know, you, uh, you do not believe in me. And he says, no, you know, you are nothing but a piece of underdone potato, a piece of moldy cheese. You know, there's more, uh, I can't remember what he says, but you know, it, it's easy to pass this stuff off, and it's hard because it's it's so ethereal. It's it's you know, it's like trying to grab onto a handful of water. Yeah. Um. These these things are seen out of the corner of one's eyes. You know, I, I was reading your bio, and you've had a bout with uh, a UFO. I had one, and you know, I saw something, and thank God I had a witness with me. I saw one of those silver orbs, and it just sat there and, you know, did all kinds of crazy stuff. And uh, I don't know what it was, you know. I was I was with another person, a friend of mine, and, you know, we've talked about it several times. Like, yeah, have you seen those things over top of, you know, those, those pictures of the ones in Mexico or Italy? He's like, yeah, that's the same kind of thing we saw. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know. So I think once you kind of, I don't know, if you're touched by it, I don't know if you remember it. I don't know if something may happen. But I think once it's in your life, uh, I, I would say probably 80% of people that I've ever met, if you if you auger down into their belief system, will have a strange, unaccountable thing that has happened to them. And, and it may be very well explained by something mundane or mediocre or it may not and i think the other 20 percent of people don't notice it or don't want to notice it i think this thing these things happen all the time and for me it happened and you know i when i was in the coast guard i remember one it happened to me a lot when i was a was a child and i would see things i would see a lot of auras i'd see a lot of auric energy and, you know, I wouldn't say anything to anybody. And then I had a couple kind of like pop out, out-of-body experiences. And the funny thing is, Char, I, I, I read so many books 
about children and this happening to, and this, this happens so much to children who are traumatized, whether for for whatever reason, it's kind of a defense mechanism that the human spirit has to, to, to literally pop out of the body. And once that connection is made, you know, it, it's, it's easier. It's like the four minute mile, you know, nobody thought, a human being could run under four minute mile, and then once they did it, you know, everybody could do it. And I think that's kind of the same thing with remote viewing. So I studied with a lot of different people, and probably the most renowned teacher that I've had, a lot of these people were old, like, you know, water witches that you'd never heard of, you know. I think every county in probably rural uh, Appalachia that I spent a lot of time in as a youth uh, has a water witch. You know, that's just how they do it. A lot of rural places, they, they, you know, a dowser, you know, nobody's got a, nobody's got the money to, <laughs> nobody's got a thousand dollars for, you know, somebody to, yeah, for somebody to come out and, and drill a test well, you know. So what, but what they do did is they get the local water witch to come out with the sapling and, you know, find their water. And, uh, I think the most, probably the most famous person that I study or the most renowned or infamous person was Jack Houck, who was tasked during the Cold War with uh, doing a lot of remote viewing and uh, training a lot of, I, I think one of the most fascinating things that he told me about was he actually would take members of Congress, delegations of Congress, and train them how not to have their thoughts read when they would go into negotiations with the Russians. Because whether we believe in this stuff as a secular Western country or not, um, most of the other parts of the world believe in this. The Russians believe in this. The Chinese believe in this. Those crazy ISIS knuckleheads believe in this. You know, So you can pass it off as like fantasy, or you can look at the data, and that's what Jack would always say. He said, "You know, I I don't I don't get into arguments with people anymore. I I just say look at the data. You know, there is, and and you know there is so much data available. It, listen, listen. If you try, if what some some of my favorite data recently has been with a, a random number generators. You know, and I can't remember the university uses those. I think is it." University, oh, I'll have to figure it out. Um, but I don't know. I don't know either. There's a couple universities. Well, there's a couple things where, they, where they're trying to find statistical data for random number generators. So what they'll do is they'll take a non-believer and they'll say, so this, uh, this thing is going to um, measure any kind of paranormal activity. Uh, and then if a person is negative, and people do this subconsciously, if they if they harbor a disbelief, and but you can tell with a random number generator because it will start to skew to a negative, right? And so what you find what you find is, is you find the reality, the quantum reality of what Einstein was calling spooky action at a distance. And, 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 and Jung was talking about that people are learning to affect things at a distance. 
and and this is just this is the most cutting edge science that's going on right now. You know, we are learning that thought travels through the ether, through whatever you want to call it. It's instantaneous. It has no time. It's so hard for us to understand because time is our is our primary construct that we wrap our minds around to kind of understand the universe. Everything is done in time. It's how we're set up as human beings. But these things exist in no time. They they exist in a separate space time continuum and they and they, they are instantaneous. And anyway, so Jack was one and then I did a lot of uh I did a lot of work in Los Angeles and I would do a lot of energy work, a lot of energy clearing First, I started with real estate. I would do it with real estate, Char. I would. Uh, I remember, you, you know, you know how the. Uh, I, I did an experiment one time. It was with. It was at a Chinese restaurant in North Hollywood, and uh, it was this. It was this older woman and older man, and they bought this restaurant. And you know how they rate stuff in. Uh, in. Uh, in Los Angeles, with the, with the ABC ratings. Right, and you don't want to eat in anything less than a. a. So, for anybody that doesn't know, the county of Los Angeles, if you have a restaurant, they they put these big letters up on you, and you get an A, B, or C rating. Uh, and I'll, I'll just tell you right now, don't go to eat in any restaurant that doesn't have an A. <laughs> just right. don't do it. But for this this one had a. This one had a C, and I just love this place. I love the food, and it wasn't the cleanest place. And I remember this is the first time I kind of stepped out with what I had been learning. And I said to the guy, he was so hardworking, the food was so good, and he just couldn't get it going. And they had this C rating on their door. They came by, and the county gave him a C rating. And the guy was just worried. And I remember I went through, and I said, hey, you know, they they had an altar. And they were very religious people. And I said, and I just felt like I needed to talk to him. And I said, hey, you know, I do energy work. Do, would you mind if I would just walk through your restaurant with a pair of dowsing rods and see what's going on here? If I could just, like, trace the energy, right? And she stopped, and she said, don't move. I said, okay, I'm cool. She goes and she talks, she, she goes and she talks to her husband, right? And she comes running out, and she said, "We have prayed for you. We have been waiting for you. Oh, we knew you. We we knew you were coming." And I just I was just like, "What are you talking about?" She goes, "I had a vision. I knew you were coming." So anyway, long story short, we're running out of time. So I take a pair of dowsing rods and I walk through this restaurant, and I and I was like, and I'm kind of new at this, you know, been doing it for a long time, and I just you know. And at a certain point in my life, I stopped pretending. I'm like, you know, let me see if I can yeah, be of any yeah. use with this stuff. And um, I walked through the restaurant, and, and I got this weird, you know, a good feng shui in, like, any house or any building or anything, you know. I mean, there's a lot of people to do, and there is better ways to do it. You know, if you're this is facing this way and you have a big ball in the front of your house or whatever, and that's all kind of like well and good. And I don't have that kind of 
expertise. What kind of expertise I have is I can feel the energy. So I just walked through, and I, I got this funny thing. The energy, it, you know, supposedly in a healthy environment, whether it's a house, a restaurant, your life, whatever, you know, we are we are here to gather our power in this life and pass it on. We're not here to hold on to it. Oh, yeah. And the most healthy, it's it's the breathing. It's the in and the out. That's why you all all work starts with breath. All work starts with breath, in and out, and in and out. And you just concentrate. And anytime anybody out there listening gets lost, you don't know what to do. Just sit down and breathe. Just sit the hell down and breathe, and concentrate on breathing, and taking that wonderful breath of life in and giving and expelling, and just start there. So anyway, for the way I perceive it, the way energy to work best in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in an establishment like that is for it to flow through. And there's an old trick I learned where it needs to flow through and touch the cash box, but then keep on going, right? Uh, and that's the trick for an entrepreneur. That's that's something I learned from an older Chinese man of mine. He says, "Look, if you're if you're working with an entrepreneurial thing, the flow has to touch the cash box, but it has to flow through. It has to go through." Well, there's a funny thing. So I follow this energy. The man came out. He started crying, Char, and I'm just like, "This is in North Hollywood, you know, like 19. I don't know." 2000 or 2003 or something, you know, this is not like ancient Mesopotamia. And I'm, I'm like, Oh, okay. What's going on here? So he's out crying because of her vision. I'm here. Nobody else. Thank God's in the restaurant. And I go through and I'm just kind of like, well, you know, doing my protection and folks out there, if you don't mess with this stuff, if you don't know how to protect your stuff itself, because it will bite you in the hind end. That's all I have to say about that now. We'll do protection later. But okay. I've, I followed this energy. It went over to the cash box, and then it pulled a hard left, and it stopped right by his grill. And I had this flash, and I had this flash. He was so distraught, and he was working so hard that he was bringing all that energy, and he was so worried because they, you know, they were starting to go under on this restaurant, and his fear was holding this energy there, right? So I said, hey, yeah. look, this is what I'm finding. I'm finding this energy stops at your grill, and it shouldn't stop at your grill. It should hit the cash box, it should hit the grill, and it should shoot on out the back door. That's what I think. Can I, can I see if it'll do that? And they said, yeah, try it. Go ahead. All right. So I did it, and I'm like, I don't know if I did anything. You know, maybe I'm just a crazy person, and I walk through this restaurant with a <laughs> couple of couple of bent coat hangers, and these people think I'm nuts, you know, just to get 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 my meal for free or something. So anyway, I did that, and I I was uh, I was doing a lot of uh, freelance work at the time, so I took off on I was on a show, and I took off yeah. on a show, and I wasn't ba back in L.A. for a while. I came back, I went up there. It was about three months later, sir. And uh, they had an A on their door. They had an A on their I door? Went, they had an A on their door. I went in there. Business was booming. I sat down. They pulled out all this crazy food that I didn't want to eat. Some of it was nasty looking, but that's that's always the way it is in the celebratory meal. 
And, uh, you know, but they had an A. And it, and it was just from that one quick thing. And that's that's kind of after I did that, I said, well, I don't want to hide my light under a basket anymore because mm-hmm. that's, that's, on, that's on me then. That's on me. That's so, true. You know, well, we really and appreciate that was, you saying that. And I don't, you know, that that's true for anybody. I mean, sometimes you, you think, you know, well, I'm not going to show this to people. I'm not going to share my gifts. I'm not going to, I'm not going to dare to dream my dreams. I, I'm not going to offend anyone. I'm not going to, and the only one we end up hurting is ourselves, you know. I mean, you have you to take that what risk if you on yourself. Talk to that guy. You were, you, what if you held back? <clears throat> you right, know, and you did right, it, and I and I was going. She was praying for you, and you were it. And and I did, and, you know, and 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 humbly, I say she was praying. She was, and I was just fulfilling. She was praying. I was just part of the. You know, there's okay, that old yeah. story. There's a, there's that old story where the you know the farmer is in the flood and and. uh uh, the water starts rising, and uh, you know a sheriff comes by in a canoe and says, uh, "You know, you got to get out. Flood water's coming up." And he says, "No, I'm a man of God. God's going to protect me." And they say, "All right." You know, and the water comes up a little higher, and he's up on his front porch, and you know, the state folks, the the the, the national guard comes by and says, get in the boat, you know, the flood water's rising. He goes, no, I'm a man of God. God's going to protect me, you know, and the water keeps rising, and pretty soon he's on the top of the roof of his house, and the Coast Guard flies by in a in a helo and says, get in the basket. Get out of here. The water's rising, and he yells back, no, God is going to protect me. I'm okay. So the water, you know, <laughs> the water rises, and he drowns. So he goes up to heaven, and you see St. Peter, and he, 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 he's very thankful he's in heaven, but he says, St. Peter, he says, well, I'm a man of God. I, I, you know, I said my prayers, and I, I did everything, and, and I died anyway. He goes, well, you know, come talk to God. So he goes and talks to God, and he says, God, you know, I'm here humbled, but, you know, I said my prayers, and you, you, didn't, you didn't save me. He goes, what are you talking about? I sent you a, and a canoe and a helicopter, and you didn't get in. <laughs> Isn't that true? I sent you everything you, know? you needed. Jeez. Okay, let's talk about how we can get a hold of you. Uh, you have, uh, for author interviews and speaking engagements, contact LuckyRabbitPub at Yahoo.com. And then yeah, Ray call those guys up. And he's on Twitter. Yeah. And you can find the Mayhem Wrangler, Wrangler on Amazon.com. I went over there. Thank you so much for my copy. I appreciate it so much. And uh, well, I hope you enjoy it. Have a, I love it. We also have an author talk and book signing Saturday, January thirty first, and it's going to be yeah. from two to three thirty at Plain Talk Books, six hundred two East Grand Avenue, Des Moines, Iowa. Yes, the grand city of Des Moines, Iowa. Yay! Where I find my where I, where I find myself hanging my hat lately. That's so. cool. So I wish you, you know, all the best. You and your your lovely wife Lori uh, and was helpful to me, and I really appreciate you coming on the show tonight. And God bless you and yours in every way. And have a 
a wonderful, awesome New Year ahead. I know you're going to. And keep up the good fight. You too, Char. It was so great talking to you. All right. Anytime, too. So let's do this again in the future. God bless. All right. God bless. See you. Okay, bye-bye. Okay, everybody, remember to come here at the same time, same station next week. And I want to thank everybody in chat. My believers are in there, and I love them so much. And I want to thank everybody that are tuning in tonight. You're awesome. I love you. God bless you guys. And that's it for tonight. I want to thank you for being on the Paranormal the Sacred. Remember, next week, Bastia Marlowe, Marie Catherine Laveau's great-great-granddaughter. See you next week. Take care, peeps. <clears throat>